Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we have a special Communion Sunday message from Pastor Roy entitled, In Christ. We get to hear from Pastor Roy what it means to be in Christ, and the many blessings that we have for those who are in Christ and have accepted His sacrifice on the cross. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. I want to remind all of us this morning about the makeup of the church. The makeup of the church is full of broken people. The church is not made up of people who are whole and and perfect and do everything right. We make mistakes, we fail, we fall. We get up and walk again. The church is full of broken people. Broken people is who Jesus died for. This morning we sang about a lot of symbolism. We talked about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that to help you understand what that means. But I just want us to understand and be reminded the church is full of broken people. That's, that's who Christ died for, was for broken people. Um, and I think that's a great reminder. And when we look at our passage today, we're going to look at the whole idea of being in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And let me read verse 31 as well. He says, therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. A little over three years ago, our church did a missions trip to Japan. We took a group of 16 uh, to do painting and working, so I hope some will sign up to go to Chicago uh, to work there. But we took a group of 16. We were to fly out of Sioux Falls. We went down to Sioux Falls. We got on the airplane. And when we boarded the plane, we sat there and we sat there. And then they finally told us that a mechanic was coming to look at something on the plane. And they finally determined that there was a little dent in the plane, just a small dent. And we all had to get off the plane and they had to give us another plane to get on. But while we were sitting there, I was sitting to a man to my right, uh, was in the military, I don't remember his name, but we got into a conversation because we sat there for quite some time, must have been 45 minutes. And I remember asking them the question, I said, do you consider yourself to be a good person? And yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. And I said, do you mind if I ask you a few questions uh, to see if that's true? said, sure. And I said, uh, have you ever told a lie? And he was like, well, of course, everyone has. I said, well, what does that make you? He said, human. <laughs> I said, yes, uh, but what else does it make you? And he had trouble saying. And I said, it starts with an L. <laughs> the word is liar. You're a liar. If you have told a lie, you're a liar. 
I said, have you ever stolen anything? Doesn't matter what the price or the amount is. An ink pen. I mean, I remember getting candy out of a, a candy machine and where I pulled the knob and my money came back in the candy bar. I thought, hey, my lucky day. You know, if you don't go back and pay the establishment for that, you've stolen the candy bar. And it took me a while to process that to understand that that was stealing. And most of us have stolen something. What does that make us? A thief. Makes us a thief. So you see, I'm saying the church is full of broken people. We have all done wrong. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. In myself, I am not righteous. In yourself, you are not righteous. And so when we look at this passage, and I went on to be able to share with that man about the gospel and how Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. Because our sin separates us from God. And we don't become holy in ourselves. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And so here's what it says in our passage today. It is because of him. Who's the him it's talking about here? It's because of, of, of God that you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, it was not my plan for God to send Jesus to the earth to take upon flesh and then to grow up and 33 years later to be nailed to a cross, that was not my plan. That was God's plan. Why was it God's plan? It was his plan because there was no other way you and I could be put in a right relationship with God. So when he says it is because of him, it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, he was the one who allowed us to be reconciled to God. Through his son, it was God's plan. It was not my plan. And so when we look at the scripture, we realize in the scripture, the scripture is God's revelation to us. There are many people who have never opened the scripture, the Bible, to see what is God's plan. They kind of go through life and they, they live the best way they know how and they watch other people and they try to make decisions based on what they see other people do and how they've been taught. But the challenge with that is, is if we've never been taught God's word, we cannot know who God is because God's word is his revelation to us. It tells us who he is, and it also tells us who we are and that we are sinful beings. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Not one. So... I cannot have a relationship with God just by my own effort because I'm not righteous. I cannot become righteous by myself. That's why Jesus died. I cannot become righteous in and of myself. So here's what he's telling us. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1.4 it says... Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God chose us to know him. Now that's hard for me to comprehend. I've been a Christian over 40 years and I have yet to really understand and comprehend this statement. That God chose me, and if you're a believer in Jesus, he chose you to know him. He chose to reveal himself to us. 
because I cannot even open this book and begin to understand it unless God teaches it to me. Unless he speaks to me and helps me understand it, I can't understand it. Because the Bible tells us that. It's only the Spirit of God that can do that. So God chose us to know him. I can't, I, I, I'm still trying to grasp that. It's just an incredible truth. And then if you look down in Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So now, here's a person who has heard the word of truth. They have heard the Bible, which is God's revelation to us, and they believed the Bible. They believed what the Scripture said, not only about God, but what God said about them. And the Bible tells me that I am born separated from God. You are born separated from God. And I cannot reconcile myself to God by human effort. If I could live 10,000 lives, I could not live good enough or long enough to erase my sin. Because see, when I, like when I asked the man on the airplane, do you consider yourself to be a good person? Most people will say, yes, I consider myself to be a good person. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't done anything really, really bad. I can think of other people who've done things a lot worse than I have. But here's the thing. My goodness does not erase my badness. My goodness does not erase my sin. It's still there before a holy God. God is, what is God's standard to get into heaven? Perfection. Perfection. I'm far from perfect, and so are you. So what did God do? He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. But he is the one who opens our heart to the truth. If we were to go to Acts chapter 15, but let me just mention this to you. Lydia was a dealer in purple. She was from the city of Thyatira. Paul and his companions came to share the gospel with them, to tell them about how Jesus died on the cross for their sin. And here's what the scripture says. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. You see, Lydia did not open her own heart. God opened her heart. You see, it's the work of God in us. The fact that any of us are even here this morning is the work of God in my life. It's the work of God in your life that you are here this morning is no accident. It is the work of God in your life. And he works through the circumstances of our lives and he weaves into the circumstances of our lives to try to open our mind and our heart to understand who he is and what he's done. I think about the Apostle Paul whose name was Saul before he came to Christ. Remember in Acts 9, he's on his way to Damascus and what was he doing he was busy hauling Christians off to prison and persecuting Christians. He hated the church. He hated Christians. He ha and, and, he, and he was ignorant of God. And this bright light from heaven shines and knocks him to the ground. And then he, he, he hears a voice from heaven. And this voice from heaven speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, remember, he was persecuting the church, but God equated that with persecuting him because of his connection with the church. He says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Total ignorance of God. He didn't know who God was at all. Who are you, Lord? 
Saul asked, and, he, and Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then God began to reveal himself to Saul, and Saul eventually gave his life to Christ and became a preacher of the gospel. But it was all the work of God. Saul was running 100 miles an hour the other way, and God got his attention through the circumstances of life and revealed himself. He opened his heart to Paul. So our union with Christ is a gift from God and allows us to have a new identity. I move from sinner and lost person to saved and, and, and have the righteousness of Christ. Let me mention this verse in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We also thank God, Paul says, constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it, what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. It is God's word as we learn and God reveals himself to us through the pages of scripture that I come to know God personally and I come to put my faith in God as he reveals himself to me. In, First or in First, or John 15, it talks about Jesus being the true vine. And here's what he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is the true vine and we are a branch. And a branch for it to bear fruit has to be connected to the vine. If the branch is separated from the vine, it cannot bear fruit by itself. A branch by itself cannot bear fruit. It is dead. It gets life from the vine. And what he's saying is that you and I, to really have life in us, we have to be connected to God, to Jesus Christ. And we are connected to him by grace through faith. In Ephesians 2.8, he says, For by grace... You have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What is grace? Grace is a free gift. It's giving me something I don't deserve and something I cannot work for and earn. In other words, if I said, if I want to give you this Bible as an act of grace, but you have to come and you have to cut my grass and you have to wash my windows and you have to wash my car and you have to do all these things, is that grace? No. Because now you have worked for it and you have earned it. And there are a lot of people who try to work their way to heaven. I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to do good things. I'm going to give money to the church. I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to earn my way. And we cannot earn our way. That's what grace is all about. Grace is saying you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it at all. But I am giving it to you freely by grace. That's what God has done in the person of Jesus who died on the cross. He came in grace to give us his life. Apart from the gracious action of God, who of his own free will chose to send Jesus to die on the cross. You see, this was, notice what it says in our verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us 
Wisdom from God. Now think about this for a moment because what were the Jews looking for in a Messiah? One who would come to save them. They were looking for a warrior, a conqueror, who would come and take the world by conquest, by power, by force. And Jesus comes gentle and humble. And they rejected it. And that's why it says, if we look back in chapter 1, if you look in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. Jonathan sang about the word scandalous. That's what that word stumbling block means. It's like a scandal. They did not embrace this Jesus who was gentle and meek and humble. And neither did the Greeks. The Greeks rejected him as well. Why? Because they were into philosophy and all these things. And they did not understand that here's a man who not only came gentle and humble, but he voluntarily laid down his life so he would be crucified on a cross. What kind of Savior is that? And they rejected it. He was like, what kind of Savior is that? That doesn't seem like a victorious Savior to me. One who voluntarily lays down his life is humiliated, mocked, and ridiculed. What kind of Savior is that? And they rejected it. And you know, many people today find the cross offensive because of that. They were offended by the cross. And you remember in the Old Testament, the only way that sinners could be alleviated from their sin was they had to slay the blood of an animal. That's why we sang this morning about the blood of the lamb. The blood of the animal had to be spread over things, over the horns of the altar, had to be put on the mercy seat and all those places. And it was the blood that covered their sin. But it's interesting, when they brought that animal in to sacrifice it, the only parts that God accepted was the blood and the fat. Now think about this, farmers. <laughs> they were not allowed to keep the meat because they were not allowed to have any kind of gain materially or personally. They took the most offensive parts. I mean, I know when we catch fish, what's the first thing we do? We clean the blood off. <laughs> we get rid of the blood. We don't want the blood. We get rid of the blood off the meat. And that's the very thing that Bible says cleanses and washes away our sin. We sang this morning, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why he died on the cross. He shed his blood that we could be forgiven of our sin. That's the only thing that God will accept as payment for our sin. He died in my place and he died in your place that we could be forgiven of our sin. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8 for a moment. He says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." One thing that is interesting is when you look at all the religions of the world, Christianity is unique in this. Somebody died for us. Buddha did not die for his people. 
Muhammad did not die for his people. If you look at Islam, the Muslim world, if you look at Buddhist, if you look at Shintoism, any other type of religion, every one of those religions is a religion of works where you have to do good things, you have to do things to appease this God. I remember being in India, and this lady was sitting cross-legged, Indian-style, on the floor, and she had a board in her lap. And she was arranging little pieces of fruit, and she was arranging rice on this to appease this God that she was praying to. And somehow, in hopes to attain that this God would listen to her and respond to her, and yet she was praying to a dead God. Because we, don't have, we can't appease this God. The only appeasement God accepts is the death of Jesus on the cross. That's the only payment God accepts. He doesn't accept me any other way except through the blood of Jesus and his death on the cross. He goes on to say, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. God's grace that he chose us. And then he goes on to say, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness. Our righteousness is our standing before God, that God has justified me. He has reconciled me to God. The Bible says in Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How do I have this right relationship and this right standing with God? Is it because of my good things I've done? No, not at all. The Bible says all of my righteousness before a holy God is like filthy rags. <laughs> filthy rags. I have nothing to offer him. If Jesus did not come in the flesh and die on the cross, there would be hope for no one in the world. No one could be saved. No one could be reconciled to God. The only way we are reconciled is what Jesus has done for us. And that's the message of the gospel. Righteousness is conformity to the claims of higher authority and stands in opposition to lawlessness. It is conformity to the will and nature of God. It is someone who becomes godly. And the only way I can be godly is to accept what Jesus did for me. Here's what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. He became sin. He became the very offensive thing that God hates. And why did he become sin? Because he took your sin and he took my sin on his shoulders on the cross. And because of that, he died a wicked, cruel death. God could not look on sin. He separates himself from his son because he hates sin so much. Jesus died that we could be forgiven. That's the only offer God accepts. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, he says, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Why do I have the righteousness of God? Because when I was a little boy, I recognized I was a sinner and I deserved to be eternally separated from God forever in a place the Bible calls hell. 
That's what the Bible says. Sin is not allowed into heaven. God is perfect. I am not. I am sinful. So God separates himself from sinful man. And the only way that gap can be bridged is through the cross, which is offensive to people because there's nothing else I can do but cast myself at the mercy of God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I deserve hell. I deserve your wrath. I deserve eternal judgment and eternal punishment. But I believe that Jesus died for Roy Burkett, for his sin, that I could be forgiven and cleansed. And because of that, here's what God does. He takes my sin on the cross and he gives me his righteousness. He gives it to me free of charge and forgives me of all my sin because of grace, giving me something I don't deserve, and by faith, accepting what Jesus did for me. He says in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So now when Jesus, God looks at Roy Burkett, he doesn't see my sin anymore. He sees the robe of righteousness because he sees the blood of Christ that has been applied to my sin. So when he looks at me, he no longer sees me, he sees Jesus. That's what God has done for every one of us, but we have to personally accept it, personally embrace it in our lives, and personally understand that there is no goodness in us except what Jesus did for us. Paul said to be found in him, in Philippians 3, 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And I'm not going to have time to go over all these passages, but here's what I want to show us. In the book of Romans, Romans talks about that whole idea of law and grace and righteousness. And this is essential for us to understand. In Romans 3.21, you see, Paul goes through the first chapters of Romans, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, how the Jew is condemned before God. The Gentile is condemned before God. The whole world is condemned before God. All of us are guilty. God doesn't accept our self-righteousness. But here's what he says. But now a righteousness from God. Did you hear? It's from God, not from me. A righteousness from God apart from the law, apart from me trying to obey the law and do everything right, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God, listen, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So how do I get this righteousness applied to my count? How do I have this God forgive me and make me clean, wipe my slate clean, wash away all my sin, all my guilt, all my condemnation? It's by believing that Jesus died on the cross for Roy Burkett. And that alone. And receiving the grace of God as payment. And the death of Christ as payment for my sin. And I've made, been made clean. 
Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, listen, from all unrighteousness. <laughs> he washes away all my sin, all my unrighteousness. It tells us in Romans 4.3 that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, believing in God is credited as righteousness. Believing means putting my whole faith and trust and confidence in God, putting him on the throne of my life and saying, God, you're in charge. Paul goes on to say in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Look back in 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. How did he do that? He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He shames the wise by choosing foolish things. They were looking for this sign. They were looking for this conqueror. And it was foolish to them to think that this gentle, humble person would lay down his life. Foolish in their eyes. And to be executed and give his life. God shames the strong with weakness. Look in verse 27 again. The second part of 27. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Who were the strong people? They were people of social influence. They were people of position. And he took those people who thought they had social influence and position and deserved something, and God took the weakness of man, in essence, people who lack social influence and position, and he accepted them in Christ. <laughs> he accepted them in Christ. He took them into the family of God and gave them a status higher than anything the world could offer. He's saying, you may not be able to buy the brand name clothes, but I have to give you a robe of righteousness. He goes on to say in verse 28, he chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are. He took people who had access to privileged places and he shamed them by giving people who had no access and no privilege whatsoever and put us into the presence of God and a home in heaven. He goes on to say, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Holiness is our standing before God, that we are separated from sin and we are devoted to God, being separate from sin and devoted to God. That's what he has done for us. He says in Romans 6.22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification or holiness and its end, eternal life. Now my motivation for living a holy, righteous life is not to gain salvation in a right relationship with God. It's because I have it. Now my motivation is to live to please God. And let me mention the last one here, redemption. We have from being in Christ redemption. What does that mean? It is redemption from sin and destruction. 
I've been redeemed. Why have I been redeemed? Because somebody paid a price for my sin. You see, if I don't accept the offer of Jesus on the cross, the only other option is me to pay for my own sin. And here's how I pay for my sin. I'm separated from God forever. Or I accept the payment of Jesus on the cross as payment for my sin. That and that alone gives me redemption. Redemption is to redeem. It is taking someone who was in bondage and slavery and setting them free. The greatest example we have of that is the children of Israel in Egyptian bondage. They're in Egyptian bondage. They cannot free themselves. They're under the power and domination of Pharaoh, and they're serving him as slaves, and they cry out to God. God sends a deliverer in Moses. The people are delivered. He brings all the plagues upon Egypt, and they are delivered. God delivers them and does something they cannot do for themselves. That's what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. He has set us free from the bondage of sin and death. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.